Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Libel, Bible, and a Little Tribal. In our deep dive today, we take a look at the rash of libel and defamation lawsuits that have flooded the judicial system following claims of election fraud. When reason and logic fail, should we sue our way to justice and speech? And in our Courage or Cringe segment, opting out of Black History Month, Congresswoman claims Trump can sell U.S. intelligence, and the Supreme Court smacks down California. Should parents be able to opt their kids out of any subject, or do school curricula always take precedent? Should President Trump continue to receive intelligence briefings, or is this a recipe for continued angst and division? And how does the exercise of religious liberty rank when compared to public health concerns? This and more on this week's episode of TDR. Here we are again, Jesus. We are. Welcome to the show. Historic day today. It, it is? We are. Yeah, it is. What's we're, historic? We're recording uh, this on uh, February 9th, and it's the first day of the uh, the second impeachment uh, trial mm. for uh, Got it. former uh, President Trump. That, his, that uh, historical context. It is. I yeah, thought you were going to say that it's... Historical in some other sense. Um, um, the rise of uh, binaural, uh, you know, podcasting or something, uh, which is a thing, by the way, apparently. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. I actually spent some time this morning listening to some of the sample audio. You weren't impressed? It's, no, it is really interesting. I think it's, it's awesome. It sounds great. I, I, I'm, I'm very um, skeptical about how much of a difference it actually makes right now for podcasts, unless you're talking about narrative style podcasts. Yeah, uh, I think for narrative style podcasts, I could see it be really interesting, right? Um, because you can actually play back like the guy's walking into the yeah, room, and you can hear the way he walks. The and environment, all that stuff. right? I think anything that has environment as part of it, as part of the podcast, I could see that being really interesting. Right. Um, if it's just straight talk, I, I just have a hard time believing that that's going to make much of a difference. Yeah, I probably I, I agree with you. Although at some point, like you know, just getting the highest quality audio is probably going to be everybody's intent. So we're doing our part here on this show, trying to get uh, the audio just right on a consistent basis. Hopefully, everybody's enjoying the show on that 
level. Anyway, we've got um, a bunch of stuff, really interesting deep dive subject um, having to do with a rash of lawsuits that have been very, very public of late. Um, and then some interesting courage or cringe stuff, as always, to get through. Um, where do you want to? Where do you want to start? How do you want to start? Yeah, I think in our deep dive, why don't we get into the the whole issue around lawsuits and the role that they're going to play uh, as it relates to trying to fight uh, this information. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it was an interesting one for us, I think, to to cover because we've been talking about this now for a while. I mean, frankly, everyone's kind of talking about this to some degree or another, right? And the whole idea of what um, companies individually are doing, what social platforms are doing to try to fight this information, both in the people that are for or against it. Literally last week in our, in our last episode, we talked about uh, Twitter's uh, launch or birdwatch, right, and using sort of crowdsource efforts to try to fight this information. But what, it, what was really interesting is what has happened in the last few weeks, um, and specifically as it relates to the role that, that some of these uh, lawsuits have actually played. So, so why don't we get into that, right? So there's been a string of lawsuits that have, you know, rattled specifically conservative media, right? As it relates to some of the th- things that happened for the during the election, and then the um, the following sort of push against uh, people saying that they have been major major fraud, right? So on Thursday, February fourth, Smartmatic, which was uh, which is a voter technology firm that was swept up in many of the conspiracy spread by both former President Donald Trump and some of his allies, filed a 2.7 billion defamation suit against Fox News. Is that all? That's it, $2.7 billion. Um, against Fox News, citing Lou Dobbs and two other Fox anchors, Maria uh, Bartiromo and Janine Pirro, Pirro, for harming its business and reputation, right? Right. Um, now, this follows last month's information suit filed by Dominion Voting System, which is the one that, that probably got the most sort of pushback as they were obviously very involved in, in, in the voting uh, election count in a number of different places which is another company that both Trump has accused of rigging votes against two of the former president's lawyer uh, against two of the former president's lawyers Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell on similar grounds right so Dominion voting system put in a lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and now Smartmatic has followed suit, but going after Fox News specifically. I wonder just, I mean, neither one of us is lawyers, which is why this is always an excellent conversation to have among people who don't really know the law. But um, how does that, like, what's the starting point for a libel suit against a lawyer who's defending a case? In other words, like, aren't there, you know what I mean? Like, you would think that there'd be some limitations to what you're able to actually bring against a lawyer who's sure. defending a, a client. I can see against the media companies and all that. I'm just curious, like, that is a starting point. Well, but I think it's it's in both, right? The case on defamation really has to do with is there any proof that of what they're making an argument for, and if there is zero proof of their argument, does that accusation by itself cause uh, a significant level of harm to that business, right? So, in the case of Smartmatic, I actually uh, heard a uh, an interview that that uh, the CEO Antonio uh, Mugica, I guess is his last name, who's the CEO of Smartmatic, do with with um, the Daily, right, which is a podcast from New York Times. And what was interesting that he talked about is like, look, he was like, first of all, the fact that their name was even brought up in any conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the, remember, they're the firm that was that was one of the rumors is that this is a, the Hugo Chavez firm that they had basically uh, infiltrated to be able to turn overturn the elections. They were being accused of of their technology being critical to this mass fraud in places where they didn't even use the technology. So what was interesting that he was brought up is like the only place in the U.S. where they used it, according to him, by the way, right? In this last election for a president was only in the in the county of of, of, of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That was the only place where the technology was actually used. But yet there were mentioned by Rudy Giuliani and others in those other places, and I think Michigan and other all these other sort of battle states that somehow they played a role of this being this Hugo Chavez funded firm that was overturning election results. 
And I think that's a, maybe a big part of, of why I'm guessing they were so aggressive and now coming up with a defamation suit and saying, you're accusing us of something that we had literally nothing to do with. Like our firm wasn't even involved in yeah. any, any account. But yet you're out there spreading these lies about us. And this is a company that supports uh, you know, voting counts and they do other, other things from a technology standpoint across the globe. Right. So they do this in a bunch of different countries. So you can see they were saying, look, immediately they're getting a lot of pushback from other places that they don't want to use them because they're involved in this in this conspiracy theory where it, at least from from the sounds of it, it sounds like it's completely warranted because they weren't involved in any of the controversial counts that happened in any, any of the states where really the issues that the that President Trump or, you know, uh, sure, uh, you know, outgoing President Trump had in uh, as it relates to the voter count. So that's I think that's maybe the, the reason why. I don't know at what point it becomes a trigger for defamation, but something right. where it's so outrageous of what you're being accused of that you had literally nothing to do with, and it causes direct harm to your business, right? Yeah, no, I think I think that's actually why the defamation uh, libel and slander laws have come into effect is because you can create irreparable damage in somebody's yeah. reputation, and and the people who get you know the the actors in this the public in this case consumers and that kind of thing they don't follow it to the end of the track they're not going to be there when all of this sure. stuff is settled so the impact is made well before and by the way a lot of these laws um obviously were made before the advent of social media yeah right yeah, which yeah. When, which can very very quickly spread um you know something like this the, and i the, think that's the reason why they're going after the media companies right because right. the role that they can play in sure. spreading these news the part that I'm really curious uh-huh. about, though, is that, I mean, there's a number of things that I've, I've got curio- curiosity about and concerns with. Um, but one of them is specifically to that kind of like legal thing, because I understood that when you're a lawyer, you like you're you're bound to zealously represent your client. Right. So you can say that, you know, somebody stubbed their toe, but it's like the worst thing in the world that ever happened to them. And you're you're sort of like you're supposed to have that kind of zealous representation. So I just wonder if somebody said that there was, you know, voter fraud, like if, if, if the claim was these guys have a connection to Hugo, 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 Hugo Chavez, whatever it is. Right. Like how much of that, because maybe there was a stockholder, there was somebody on the board who knew somebody. How much of that well, is a the- defense tactic? That in court, you know, basically gets put under the under the heading of zealousness by the attorney to represent his client, and how much of it is like actually a PR media kind of effort. You know what I mean? Because right. yeah, and I think it's probably I would say in this case it's probably much more PR because I don't think that it will take that much to figure out whether or not technology was actually used in any of those swing states uh, where there were there was controversy, right? The, the Hugo Chavez tie-in in this case is because the CEO and I guess some of the founders of the company are originally from Venezuela. They're immigrants, right? Latinos, they're immigrants. Right. They, they moved to the yeah, They started this company. They've been doing it for a while. Probably left Venezuela to get away from Chavez. Right, probably, right? So that's the that's the Venezuela connection. Um, but but it, it does sound super ridiculous to me in this case where you're roping in this company that happens to be run by 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 you know folks that immigrated to, to this country and tying basically all the roots back to that country also that they were not involved with, right? I mean, it, it almost feels as ridiculous. They would say, hey, the, you know, the owner of Pick a Company, Taco Bell, you know, is there is their fault? Well, well, how is it their fault? Like, were they involved in any of the of the actual, right. you know, right. especially basically contract? They're not. So, so why exactly is it their fault, right? So I think that's the point. And to your point, most people just don't really, you know, take the time to actually realize or see it all the way through. Like, once the accusation is made and it gets picked up by these media companies, then... Right now, in the day of social media, in the day of headlines that we that we've sure. talked about, it just spreads. And right? these are not, you know, uh, Maria Bar- Bar- Bartiromo and um, and Lou Dobbs and these guys. These guys have been around for decades. I and mean, these yeah. are not like, 
new people who just showed up on the scene who are, you know, with an axe to grind or some issue. So it's pretty significant. Or that people it involved- that are, by the way, or people that are afraid of controversy, like they do not care. Like they're going to throw it out there sure. if, they, if they feel like, sure. you know, this sure. is going to make for good, sure. good, uh, by good the way, ratings. The, the piece said that Lou Dobbs was the highest rating show on Fox. I don't, I don't think that's actually true. Maybe in the, maybe in that time slot or something. I, I thought... Tucker Carlson was significantly higher rated than Lou Dobbs, but maybe I'm wrong. It may be on Fox Business. Charlie, oh, that's about, what it is. That's what right? it is. My bad. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the, right. the right. highest rated show. Yep, you're right. But but Lou, and, but Lou Dobbs is a force. I mean, let's let's be honest. Like he's sure. been around, and he he was actually mm-hmm. he's always been a very strong supporter of of uh, of, uh, of of President Trump, right? So, mm-hmm. but in any case, but but that impact. And this is what makes the story really interesting. The impact was almost immediate, right? By the next day, Fox Fox Business had already canceled. It's highest rated show, Lou Dobbs Tonight, right? Fox News has also had also run some fact-checking segments to debunk its own anchors' false claims about electoral fraud, right? So that was just within Fox News. By the way, and, and Smartmatic sort of put out this notice on everyone and said, hey, we're going to be coming after you for libel if you do not stop doing this, or maybe they're going to do it anyway, right? And there was this moment that became viral last week, last Tuesday, um, which is uh, the way to describe it, it's really a surreal honor moment where Mike Lindell, the MyPillow founder, right, and, and someone that has been very vocal as uh, and supporter of, of, of former President Trump mm-hmm. around all of these claims about voter, voter fraud, began basically attacking Dominion voting systems on air on an interview and was promptly cut off by Newsmax anchor Bob Sellers, right, who literally spoke over him as he was reading, which was very obvious, a prepared statement saying that Newsmax accepted all the election results as being legal and final. And it was the weird. It's bizarre. I haven't it seen was it. It's super, super weird to see this um, is having this anchored. Like literally you can see like the fear of like, hey, no, 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 we, we can't talk about this. Yeah. And they probably just left a meeting where the lawyers said, like, if this ever comes up, you got to. It was you know. so. It, I've never seen anything. I thought he had. Did way, you see I, the video? I did. Yeah, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought the anchor for Newsmax handled it terribly, like terribly. He could have literally, as the guy was saying, said, listen, I hear you and you have a right to your own opinion. But here we just don't agree with you. But let him talk. But the fact that he, he immediately started talking over him. Over him. So he, didn't get he out. actually he got up from his seat that the anchor and just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, uh-oh. wow. He just walked away. It's yeah, like he wanted no either. part of that, that's right? That's not a good look. And then the other one was Rudy Giuliani, right? Uh-huh. Who apparently hosts, uh, not apparently, he does. He hosts a show on, on New York radio station, WABC, and was caught by surprise on Thursday when his employer aired a disclaimer during the show that this is itself from, and, and advertises from Giuliani's views. And they did this Isn't without, without it, telling him. So he was obviously not a very happy. Isn't that disclaimer on a lot of things, though? The whole, like, you know, this show does not, th- th- this well, opinion does not if, represent if the owner of this network like, or its advertisers. I've heard that a million times. Yeah, but, like, that was a very... I guess as a pre-roll to your show, maybe that's that was, weird. Well, that was very maybe prominent. That's what it was. You know, so I would say that did happen. That does happen. Mm-hmm. And, and when, whenever I could think of that, I maybe I'm dating myself here, but I can't remember, like, those... You know, Saturday morning segments that were obviously paid sponsorship that the station had nothing to do with or Sunday morning where they were like, they're just going to basically, they basically sold the airtime. Oh, it's like paid it advertising. Like, it is pay- yeah, yeah, typically that was a more assigned to paid advertising. Like yeah. I've never seen that like on a, on a news segment, like before your six o'clock new, you know, news comes out or before any show that you're producing or airing out. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Right, just th- just think about that. Like that's a very weird dynamic. And of course, Rudy Giuliani was like super upset about it, right? But he's the one that has been directly named in the in some of these lawsuits, especially the one by Dominion Voting Systems, right? So, but it, it's been super interesting the the immediate response by by you know by these different organizations in trying to distance themselves 
from those previous comments that have been made on, on, on their airwaves and trying to course correct really quickly. Now, Fox News has, of course, filed a motion to dismiss the, the, the you know, Smartmatic's you know, lawsuit. And in their filing, they basically said that Smart, Smartmatic had not identified any statement by Fox itself that could be actionable as defamation, right? Um, and this is where it starts to sound like they're going to throw up Lou Dobbs under the bus, like super fast, super just, quickly, yeah. right? And uh, also take it out with him. Also, noted that the company fails to allege that Fox published the challenge statements with actual mal- malice, right? And this is a part where it's a tough one to say, right? Because mm-hmm. you can say, well, Fox News is reporting the news, and in this case, even if there are uh, f- false statements, there are being said by people that would a like Lindsey Powell was the lawyer of of President Trump, and so is you know Giuliani. So if they're saying this thing, should they not be talking about it? I mean, that's maybe part of the question. Right. Uh, or to what degree are really, they responsible to actually fact check mm-hmm. uh, some of this information? And that's some of the criticism that's coming back right now. It's like we're going to have to fact check everything everyone ever says if that's the way to do it. Yeah. And that's one of the things. Look, again, disclaimer, not a lawyer. But one of the things I understand about these things is there is a checklist of things that make something libelous and slanderous. And one of them is like your knowledge that it's that it's false. And your willful dissemination of this information, irrespective of the fact that you know that it's wrong. That's, you know, I don't know. You can make a case that some of that is not broached if an anchor repeats something or says something or finds something or, right. you know. Um, and I think it, it's it's really detrimental to the idea of media if we have to get to a point where everybody who's going to be on the air, who's going to give an opinion, has to be like basically rung through the fact checker, you know, a grind. Yeah. And I think the... Yeah, part part of the question for me when I think about this story is obviously there's all the downstream implications, but as it relates to that that point that you're making about mm-hmm. having to fact check everyone, look, I think it's very different if someone comes on for the first time and makes a claim that you just don't know, and part of it, the person that's making the claim is someone that is of importance, that has national relevance, and should be covered as part of your news coverage, right? But after a while, like if you continue to support that, that statement through commentary, through your own opinion anchors, um, and don't do anything to try to at all course correct some of that information, mm-hmm. then I think that's what you're starting to – now you're part of the problem in terms of spreading this message that sure. is, is false. And in the, the case of smart – like there's one thing about the minimum voting system, right? Because I put them in a slightly different category because if there's – People had a lot of questions about it, et cetera. But at least one thing you cannot question is that it was actually used in a lot, big parts of the country to be able to count votes, right? So sure. at least they were part of the party of what right. was happening. Right. In but the this case other, of Smartmatic, is like— They're not even related to the stuff that they're being charged to. Right. Like there was never any questions about L.A. County. Like that was, L.A. County was never going to go Trump, you know? Like, like there was never any questions there. So— that they were roped into this broader conspiracy theory that it was, you know, somehow fueled by this connection with Hugo Chavez. And with what it feels like with some basic reporting, basic fact checking, you're like, well, where exactly were you guys actually used? And the moment that they start saying, their CEOs are saying, hey, we were only using one county in the entire country. That's such a specific claim that I feel like you could check that pretty quickly. Yeah. And the fact that there was, at least it doesn't feel like it was like very basically counter, counter, there was a counter argument sort of pushed within these same organizations until a lawsuit came out. I think that's where, it, you know, you start getting yourself in trouble in terms and I think of, that's, of, of when you get to that point. You that's know? the big question, though, right? And one that we have to answer, I'd love your thoughts on it, which is, you know, where does this rank in effectiveness and need in terms of managing the discourse in the country, right? Because the people who are for it, to your point, are saying, listen, 
all I know is we didn't even offer services in this part of the world, and we're being said that we were, and it hurt our bottom line, and it hurt our shareholders, and so we're gonna we're gonna follow up. We're gonna you know, we have we've got recourse. We've got a lawsuit. That's one side of it. You know, the other side of it is like. Um, you know, the extreme, but the other side of it is, uh, well, you know, if that's the case, then these media companies, then, uh, you know, this sets a precedent, then I want to make sure that the media company has done the full fact checking on the background of all of these people and make sure that everything that they're saying is in accord accordance with reality. And I think that that has some limitations right on that side. So the question is, to what degree do lawsuits, defamation lawsuits, like what role do they play in this kind of, uh, you know, discourse moving forward? Yeah. That's, and, that's and the big I, question. And I think you're going to get into that, you know, very fuzzy statement, which is what's a reasonable, right? And which is, happens a lot in agreements, right? Like you always have this point, like what's like reasonable that, sure. that someone can do? And that's do. how the law sounds too. And that's usually the way the law is interpreted, yep. right? So I think the reasonable to me would reasonable be- Reasonable doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, oh, also, no, I'm, I'm referring more to like what's reasonable. In no, terms no, of the no, process. I know. But I'm just saying the idea of reasonable yeah. is used in that context all the time. Like, it, exactly. Yeah. Right. So uh, to me, I guess the way that I will look at this is that it, there has to be some uh, a view that if it's reasonable for a media company, once again, if you have like I don't have an issue that they had Giuliani that had, you know, uh, Powell uh, as well interviewing them because of the role that they played within these organizations, within this process and specifically supporting uh, President Trump or former President Trump in his efforts to try to overturn the election. So I, I don't have an issue with them being given airtime. The question becomes reasonable or not is to the degree that they start to then fact check or at least say, hey, by the way, we haven't been able to confirm any of the claims you're making. And to the degree that you're making a point to say that when giving that coverage, especially when you start getting to the more ridiculous parts of the things they were saying. Right. And I think that's the part where it, I think that's what in my mind, I'm assuming this case is going to come down to that. point. Yeah. Right. Um, now, it is interesting because to your point, there is a lot of this. There is a slippery slope. Right. That, that media companies have to, especially news organizations, have to fact check every single point. Well, if they if they win the lawsuit, it's, I think it's, it's precedential I, I on a scary level because it, it is a little bit challenging. Yeah. But it definitely speaks to the moment that we're living in now. Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of how things have um progress or, or digress maybe the better way to put it as it relates to the level of misinformation that is out there and how easy that misinformation can can actually spread to the point where it feels like it's real information mm-hmm. because of the role of social media etc right so there was um in, in, in looking at this there was it also uh, shows the difference between how the media companies who are publishers clearly are being treated vis-a-vis the platforms, right? So yeah, that's true. Back to this cons- consistent issue. Sure, it's like sure, they're sure. easy to sue. They're easy to, it's like, oh, you said something wrong. It hurt my business. Boom. You know what I mean? And and yeah. imagine the same kind of tactic or strategy rather. Well, but, with, but I think with that's the also the, the thing that the platforms are worried about as well, right? Is that, that it, if be. they don't, uh, you know, but, but then that leads to much more censoring than not. Yeah. Right, the outcome of that is saying like we don't want no part of that thing. So anyone talk, making any kind of claims of voter fraud, shut them down. Sure, because we don't want to be accused of not doing enough to try to censor, you know, misinformation. So, but I think that if they, but if the, uh, if you can sue them, that should be the 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 outcome. Right now, you can't sue them. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I just think in their, you know, because of this sort of blurry moment or 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 fogginess in terms of how like what they actually are. Sure. Um, the the default could end up being even then be much more conservative in their approach, right? Um, but in, in the, the other thing I was going to say, this is actually not new ground for any of these organizations, right? So last year, Fox News paid millions to settle claim for the family of a murdered Democratic National Committee staff member, which was falsely accused, accused by Fox hosts of leaking emails to WikiLeaks. 
right? So that was last year. Also last year, Trump campaign sued multiple news organizations for coverage the president deemed unfavorable or unfair. Mm-hmm. I um, remember. And, and I didn't see the the outcome of that. So I don't know if that's still being litigated or that just got dropped sure after a while. Being litigated. Um, There's the, so many lawsuits going back yeah. and forth. Can you imagine being like the Trump defense team? You're either in a lawsuit or defending one. Like you're every in a day lawsuit, defending one, or getting fired, or getting fired. There's, 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 or three, all three, uh, all, all, all three, three at the same time. Yeah. Right. Um, there was also technology billionaire Peter Thiel who bankrolled Hulk Hogan sued against gossip blog Gawker. Yeah. That ultimately bankrupted that business. Right. So that's actually the. the <laughs> The downside of what happens, right, is some of these these also are so massive that they could basically just sink some of these companies. And then even really recently, I think over the weekend or maybe at the end of last week, a California judge ordered Herring Networks, which is the parent company of uh, of One Network News, uh, to pay two hundred fifty thousand in legal fees to Rachel Maddow uh, and and MSNBC following its failed defamation suit against them in twenty nineteen. So they were. Suing them, and what they were suing them for is that they argued that Meadow made defamatory claims about uh, OAN during a broadcast, which she said that OAN literally is paid by Russian propaganda, right? So she made this very bold claim about it, and I don't have all these in terms of why that that was sure. that statement was even made, but yeah. it was one where in this case they actually lost that lawsuit, right? So they lost it, and they had now paid all the legal fees for having uh, uh, sued uh, uh, Rachel Maddow and MSNBC. Yeah, look, I, I think at the end of the day, because uh, as we you know, kind of think about closing out this topic and moving on to Courage or Cringe, this is one of those that um, I think the lawsuits will be instructive of the path forward, but I'm a little bit leery of the path forward. I kind of have a sense of where this is going to net out. Net out. I mean, with most of these things, they they usually, generally speaking, get settled on some level. But this one may be too big. If you're starting at 2.7 billion or whatever the number is, it may be too big to settle to. So it may actually go to court. And 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 you know, I'm af- I'm afraid that the outcome will be the type I, I, that they'll win the lawsuit. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't win the lawsuit. I'm saying that if they win the lawsuit, that the outcome will be further restrictions on the media company's ability to actually share opinions and points of view points of views unless they go through some new process that corporate lawyers would get involved in determining and i think that that's stifling to the conversation in general um if it goes through in that in that way right now if there is you know if it can be proven that this was exactly, and I don't know all the intricacies of these, right? The Smartmatics one seems mm-hmm. very different than the other one. The other right. one, to your point, it was actually doing the thing that they were. They I were, mean, I'm not saying that they did anything wrong. I'm simply saying, no, no, that no, at no least I'm just saying, they were yeah, involved in the they, process. At least is, they were in the same universe of possibility of having done something. The yeah, other yeah. one seems like it's really spurious and it's the kind of thing that probably gets tossed out but or, or gets, uh, you know, awarded or whatever. But anyway, my, 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 my point is just that we are at this moment where we're, everything is so sensitive now. And if these lawsuits actually, Add to that that these media companies will clamp down, and what we'll basically hear is just this kind of like approved positions from super deeply vetted sources. And to me, that's just like it leaves a lot of potential conversation on the uh, on the table. And it, what I wonder is, well, where do you go to get the more the stuff that's less vetted, the stuff that's less kind of run through this legal right. process? And Again, I don't. I don't know exactly how it turns out. My my fear is that it just ends up putting a, a deeper pressure on people to share perspectives. You know what I mean? And that's the part that I'm consistently worried about with these kind of things. I may be wrong, but that's just my sense. That, that yeah, I and I think that I mean maybe the point where I may start making the distinction is like I think it's a difference between having a difference in opinion versus saying something that's so outrageous that you are killing someone's business that has really has done yeah. nothing to be able to. 
to deserve that in any way whatsoever, right? And, and I, I think mm-hmm. that's this. That's why to me the, the Smartmatic is a different situation, right? I agree with you to some extent because I think it is going to happen. I think you are going to have companies taking a little bit more conservative or maybe a lot more conservative approach in terms of what they're willing to share, opinions, et cetera. Um, but I also think part of this is what maybe needs to happen. We were just talking about in our last episode the 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 loss in confidence that the general public has in the truth of these that these you know, news organizations actually actually provide. And in this case, especially in the case of Smartmatic, if what you're seeing here, if the outcome is like, you know what, they were actually lying and supporting this, you know, claim or giving the airwaves to a claim that they themselves realized pretty quickly was actually false and did nothing to actually give people at least that perspective while sharing it. Um, then maybe that's actually what needs to happen, right? In order for them for the, for people to get more confidence that when some of these these comments and these conversations do come up, where something really comes out that just straight falls at, they will be a lot more aggressive in trying to address it. And yeah. frankly, the the only way you do that is through losses. Unfortunately, is through like financial impact, especially for some of these really large organizations that someone like a Fox News. The reality is, every time you know there is any kinds of controversies, Lou Dobbs did really well for good reason, right? He liked to pander to people that really like to hear that kind of stuff. Truth or not, it's feel like, eh, you know, we'll get to it if, if it needs to. It's my opinion anyway. And I think there's already real change. The fact that they got rid of him, it's, that's to me was actually pretty amazing that it happened so quickly. And it doesn't, unless there was, and we never know, right? Unless there was somewhere like some, some issues. Some other issues or back, other stuff. And that but, sometimes but happens Sometimes, too. but it, it, this yeah. one, it doesn't quite feel that way. Um, I, I think it, it speaks to yet another area where, yeah, I hate to go back to the well, but, but where I do think that former President Trump took things to an nth level that um, there needs to be some course correction. Yeah. And it's easy to say, oh, well, all politicians lie. All politicians do this. But I don't think we've, in our lifetime, not in our lifetime or any lifetime, I think we've seen this degree of some of the of the, of the pushing of boundaries that happened over the, over the last four years. I agree with that. And I think this is a one other example. A consequence of, of that. that. Yeah. I have two things to say, and then we should move on. One mm-hmm. is um, that I definitely understand the difference between a, a a lawsuit being the necessary step in things that are libelous, right? You said like, hey, I can understand people sharing their own opinion, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that's factually incorrect and hurts a business in the process. That's the reason we have libel and slander yeah, laws. Sure. And I agree with that. That's why we don't have unlimited freedom of speech. Totally agree. My point is that as a result of that lawsuit, which may be just there will be a lot of things added to the way that media companies operate that will inherently decrease yeah. the, the the ability to share yeah, opinions. I don't disagree with that. That's my, yeah, that's yeah. my issue. Yeah, I don't the, se- with that. the second thing is this kind of side note, but I've noticed that you, you've done it a number of times, and that's, you're not the only person. The the reference of Trump as former President Trump, it, it seems like a like an interesting, um, like something we've come into, into a, a habit of doing these last several weeks. It doesn't apply to other presidents. I don't say former President Clinton. I just say President you know, Clinton. You know what's interesting about that? By the way, I, and I'm doing it more because... Um, but I wonder, my only point to this is yeah. I love your thoughts. But my only point is that I wonder if this is, you know, we think of like repeating things that we hear all the time. And the media is definitely using the exact same thing. And I'm just wondering, oh, you know, how that, that, that colors every way, the way we talk about things. It's like, you know what I mean? I, I just found it really interesting. And so, I just picked up on yeah, it. I, you, I, you said it like four times. I, so I'll give you my background on that one, right? So yeah. one is saying President Biden is very weird to me. Mm-hmm. It really is. Is like, it weird to say President Obama or President Clinton? No, no, no. The, the reason I'm saying that is that I'm so used to saying President Trump. 
that when I say president, I always want to like add Trump and not say Biden. Uh-huh. Like I have to force my life. No, no, that's right. It's not Trump. It's actually Biden, President Biden. And I found myself a number of times yeah. recently thinking, that, and it's not because obviously you know that sure. it's not like I'm not, a, uh, that I didn't want Biden sure. to become president. Sure, sure, sure. It's just maybe just so accustomed to, we've been so much conversation around around Trump and everything, right? So that's one. I think the thing with former president uh, Trump, I mean, it's just for me, frankly, just to keep myself by not saying President Trump when I actually meet President Biden. Uh, so that's why I'm adding the former. And the, but the thing that I have tried to be intentional because my nature would be to just say Trump. Like, I feel like he never respected the office and I don't feel like I should have to respect him for respecting the office, but I feel like it's a problem if I don't actually give him the, sure. the respect. That's the reason why I disagree with... Saying, the word president yeah. behind his name. Yeah. Uh, even if I really dislike a lot of almost everything that what he did. But so I, I've been one that I'll say Trump once in a while, but I really try not to just out of respect for the office, even though I didn't agree that. He yeah. That's by the way, the reason the on a previous show, why I disagreed with whoever the person was that didn't receive. Oh, Bill Belichick who didn't receive the national medal of honor. I disagreed for the same reason that you just cited, which is I, I do believe you have to have honor for the office. But my point is, it's not just you, Jesus. It's ev- the, the media right now, every word that I turn is saying that. And I, I just, I remark on that as interesting a and B maybe, uh, evidential of this idea of how narratives get set, because that is a new definition. I don't recall ever hearing that. I don't recur hearing. I still don't hear that. President Clinton, President Obama. I don't. Do people say former President Obama, former President Clinton? I don't. I've never heard that. You know, what I think is interesting, though. And I'm sure someone actually will will correct this. Former uh, President Washington. (laughs) um, But but the reality is, like, I, I think in the case of presidency, I would assume that you're only president and referred to as president for the term that you're actually serving because then you do become former to that office. No, that's no, no. not, that's so, not, that's which not is different to, which is yeah. different. Let me finish with yeah. that, which is different than someone that wins a gold medal. Cause I was actually hearing a podcast where we were talking to a right. gold medalist and he was like, former gold medalist. No, 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 I'm not a former gold medalist. You can only win it and you don't lose it. You don't, you don't, someone else doesn't take that medal from you. Like, yeah. So from that perspective, I, I don't know, even in my mind, when I think about these things, if maybe you, that's part of where I'm associating You're technically things. correct that, of course, the office holder is no longer the office holder, therefore doesn't deserve that. However, in practice, that is not how it's been managed. In other words, former House speakers are still called Mr. and Mrs. Speaker. They'll say that to them, even if they're out of office. They'll say senator, whatever. Now, unless in certain cases, um, and, and we can move on, but there's a, there's maybe the person requests to not be addressed that way. So as an example, the guy who's a former senator, I believe, from um, he ran for president as well, uh, Florida Republican uh, Rick something. I forget his name right now, but he's also on one. He's I think he's on MSN. No, he's on CNN. He's on CNN. Rick Santorum. Yeah. Senator Rick Santorum. He was constantly called Senator, Senator, Senator until he took a job with CNN and they just returned him to sort of Rick because it was a little confusing in that context. Yeah. But so I've so heard, you're, I've heard a lot of former senator. That's the way I, I typically hear people refer to when they're already no longer in office. Yeah. Uh, for presidency. You're right. I think it's out of custom. I, w- I would love to find out like what is the right way to say in it because um, I can see the I can see the argument. I know in practice I definitely never say former President Obama, but it's also he's been president long enough that if I say President Obama, no one's like in my mind is not confusing that he's like there's any scenario he's still president now. Maybe part of it is that is the recency of it as well. I think, and I will we'll, we'll, I'll research this not now, but I'll research this. I'd bet good money that in any interview that Obama has done since being president, nobody's called him hey Barack. Like they've said, Mr. President. I, I don't think they've said yeah. Mr. Former President or introduced him in that way. But anyway, um, okay. So look, 
it is what it, I mean, it look, is. What it the is. fact that I don't call him Orange Man, I think we should be pretty happy that I'm, that I'm well, at a pretty pretty good place. But to your earlier point, he's still Orange, so you can't say you can't say former <laughs> former Orange. No, no, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. All right, that's right. All right, before we are formerly uh, podcast hosts, yeah. let's move on. Um, okay, so let's move on to courage or cringe. We've got a few very interesting uh, topics. The first one is actually, um, I know there's been some movement in these even yeah. even since we put them down, but the first one is one of those where like at its headline level is like, how dare you? And then, you know, maybe at the end of it, you're still how dare you, but it's it bears well, some conversation. It's courage or cringe, right? Let's cringe, do it. Right? So the headline is basically parents were allowed to remove students from Black History Month lessons, right? So. The background here is, and this is just happened, and, and as we were mentioning, we literally got updated news over the weekend. So Maria Montessori Academy, which is a charter school in northern Utah, um, had decided that it was going to allow parents to opt students out of its black history curriculum, right? Uh, Mikao Hirokawa, which is the director of the academy, said on the school's Facebook page, so this just happened on this past Friday, that he reluctantly sent out the letter explaining families were allowed to exercise their civil rights to not participate in Black History Month at the school. Now, according to to Hirokawa, a few families had asked that their children be excluded Mm -hmm. from instruction related to Black History Mm -hmm. Month, but declined to give the exact number of parents or their reasons for making the request, right? Uh, And Hirokawa, who is of Asian descent, he expressed, you know, sadness and disappointment uh, of this request when making the announcement. So he put this on Facebook. Right. He said, we should not shield our children from the history of our nation the mistreatment of its African-American citizens and the bravery of civil rights leaders, but should educate them about it. Now, as someone whose great grandparents were sent to a Japanese internment camp, you know, he's he's of Japanese descent. He said he he sees value in teaching children about the mistreatment, challenges and obstacles that people of color have had to endure in the United States. Right. So as of Friday of last week, basically this kind of stood there where they had decided that, you know, if parents wanted to opt out, they could opt out. Now, as the story came out at the end of last week, uh, there was immediate tons of backlash over the weekend, right? And it came from actually interesting places. One was players from the Utah Jazz, Utah Jazz, uh, the basketball team there, you know, ba- you know, based out of Utah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were both very vocal in their protests against the decision, and even mentioned something along the lines of, you know, that racism is taught, and and really their yeah. disapproval of, of the fact that people were being left out of understanding, and learning more about the African American experience here in the country. Sure. By the way, Mitchell is also happens to be part of the NBA's newly formed Social Justice Coalition and then won some award. I, I didn't put it on here that he recently awarded in terms of some of his community involvement. But even U.S. Representative Blake Moore, who is the Republican representing the district where that school is actually located, was also very vocal in his disapproval. So he said, and I quote, I strongly believe we cannot learn American history without learning black history. Imagine if we had to teach Utah history without highlighting the persecution of early members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who led the migration west, right? And by some, so this was pushback over the weekend. A lot of people, even parents, some of the parents in the school were also very unhappy about the decision. Mm-hmm. By Sunday, the school had changed their decision. And they put out, a quote, uh, celebrating Black History Month as part of our tradition. We regret that after receiving requests, an opt-out form was sent out concerning activities planned during the month of celebration. We are grateful that families that initially had questions and concerns have willingly come to the table to resolve any differences. And at, at this time, no families are opting out of the plan activities and we have removed this option. I think the last thing maybe to note here that's worthwhile sh- sharing is that according to data from the Utah Stage Board of Education, of the 322 students that attend the academy, only three of them are black. Mm-hmm. So, 
On so, this one, courage or cringe, because there was some back and forth. I mean, what do you think here? Should we just just about the whole scenario in I general? Think, what, yeah, what I think, think I think is, we should probably just talk about the whole scenario. Um, there's, there's a couple qualifiers that I want to make. One of them is that their new position is actually not a new position, as far as I'm concerned. They're just saying that nobody's actually gone through with this. What they've what they've reversed on is maybe the submission of this this um, form or rescinding this form. But they've also said that the people who had concerns are willing to dialogue about them. So it's not really that... The, I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if they actually changed their position. It's like that's maybe what I'm the parents got enough pressure that they mm. sort of changed their mind and maybe yeah. they nudged them more along that direction as, hey, maybe it's a maybe. really bad idea to yeah. not to, to do this. Yeah. Um, I'm, um, yeah, this one is, this one's tough. I mean, if we're just, if we're basically saying, um, you know, the whole incident is really unfortunate and sad on a number of different levels, um, for me. Um, but it's, I'm struggling with where to kind of land on this one in terms of if we're looking at what Montessori did, the announcement, or I guess the permission to allow parents to opt out, if that's what we're looking at, or if we're looking at, you know, what they've done since then over the weekend or like which, which aspect, right? So it's kind of like all over the place for me. Yeah. Maybe just look, I will say the whole thing, but just obviously feel free because there's, yeah, there's different stages to this. Feel free to right. pick whichever one you, you want to focus on. The other point that makes it hard for me, and there's a number of things. So let me just qualify this really quick. I'll do this fast. So number one is I don't think that they've actually changed their position really. Mm-hmm. Number two is the people who provided backlash are all saying things that I think people of all goodwill would agree with, which is, Black history is important to know. The history of the country is important to know, even the things that are unfortunate. I, what I don't know, the other qualifier is, I don't know what's in the black history education. I don't know what the parents were objecting to. And I don't know if it's even true that the parents were objecting to, pe- to their kids learning about black history. They may have been, I'm just saying because I don't know, they may have been objecting to the way, the tone, the, I don't know, the focus maybe or emphasis on only certain aspects of black history and not others, which I definitely hear. By the way, I hear that a lot even in black sectors in comedy, in, uh, in content, where a lot of content creators that we work with are saying, I want to make stories that are not just about all the misery. I want to make stories about other things, things that you didn't know, people you didn't know, people who lifted us up and not just like have it all be you know, colored by this experience. So I don't know what exactly they were objecting to. Those are things that I'm missing. So it's very difficult for me to actually make my determination. But on the whole, I also have a very um, strong point of view about parents having the right to to um, should be able to opt out of things that their kids are doing in school. I'll give you just one quick example. We are, my kids go to Catholic school. We have there's a program called Safeguard the Children, which is basically a program to protect kids um, in you know uh, situations that include adult dynamics, you know inappropriate uh, things. It's basically a program to keep kids safe from either potential predators, people who would take advantage of them, etc. It is mandatory for all diocesan schools to actually have that that program and to take it at some point. When the program got it uh, um, issued to uh, to my uh, just for this year, my wife opted our kids out of it. The reason that she was opting them out for it was because it would mean that they would have another hour of Zoom on a particular day where they had already had Zoom the entire day. So she made the decision, no, I'm going to do this at another time. I'm not going to do it now. But she opted out. Had she not had the choice to opt out, that would have been that would have been a you know a problem. And so for me, I I, I think that it's. So I'm on courage in the sense that I think it's fine for parents to have opt-out capabilities for their kids. And I think that's really important because 
you know, whether it's a movie, whether it's a piece of popular culture, whether it's a particular class, maybe it violates your religious beliefs. I have no idea what it, what it may be. I believe that parents should have the opt the opt out, and I also believe that Pete that schools should have the opportunity and the ability to educate the kids and offer up all these different you know um, classes of of content. But so I'm I'm kind of of two minds on this one because I don't know. Yeah, we got to pick one, Charlie. I know, I'm, that's I'm, the I'm holding on right now right, just so, to to respond to you. On, yeah, on I mean, look, I, I think if I have to come down then on courage, if I had to pick in terms of them you know, giving the option to opt out of anything. I don't, I I look at the fact that it's black history as a secondary thing. I think that if it was opting out of, again, you know, I look at it, maybe it's, you know, look, I'm, I'm a believer. Maybe it's a, there's a, there's a class on the Bible. Well, I, even though I know the, I, I believe in the Bible, I believe in God, I believe in religion, I believe in all these things. I wouldn't want somebody to be forced to do that against their will. And, and to me, that is something superiorly farther important than history or, you know, things on, on, the, on the terrestrial level, right? So I wouldn't want anybody to, pe- to feel forced to educate their kids in a particular way. Like, that's the part that I'm, I'm responding to, even when it's something I deeply hold and believe. So that's my, that's my main issue, and which is why I guess if I had to pick, based on the little I know, is there's not enough in this article. It doesn't say how many parents. It doesn't say why they objected. Like it's like it, no. Was, how about this? There was enough for them to talk about it. If there was been one, like let's say it was like one parent, I I just have a hard time believing that they would have been talking about this publicly on their Facebook page for the school. And look, a lot of my daughter's the same thing. And they're they the school has a, a Facebook page and they make a lot yeah. of announcements. The fact they made it to that level, there was enough people saying they were going to be part of it. That they felt they needed to address it. I'm sure if it was like one family they didn't want to do but it, don't you I think, think that it would have been more? But, but don't you think it's important to find out what exactly the program was or what yeah, they were no, actually going to say? I, I agree to an extent, right? I think that the the issue to me is like, yeah, I'm sure something about what was in the program is what caused some of these parents to to not want to be part of it. But then is the solve then just kids not learning about Black History Month? Because they don't like the specific approach that the school is taking, or is the solve saying, "Hey, we have some concerns about how we're talking about this. Can we talk about that? I think that should Can always we address be the, that. Because sure. if you don't address that, then then yeah, maybe that's a, that's an issue. You but know, how do you? You, and, you and I mm-hmm. talk a lot about, and typically your position, um, I think, in a lot of these things is like, is your whole shit about this becoming a slippery slope? I've heard you now say that multiple times around a bunch of different things, right? This feels to me as one of those slippery slopes that if you start allowing. Uh, if the if the way that you address disagreement of how we talk about our history as a country is simply parents just pulling out different segments of, of a class, then I think what you what what comes out of that is more bubbles where kids are just not don't have a good perspective of what to some extent history is, have a better uh, you know understanding about race relations and and frankly some of the big issues that we're dealing with as a country. Right, many of the tension that we have, and part of it comes from from some of these places. Kids that grew up with don't, not having that perspective of understanding better the other side, especially when you're in school where you literally only have three three black kids in that school. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that's a, to me a big part of the problem, which is part of the reason why I have a really big problem with this. I have a really, I think it's very cringe. I think the whole thing is very cringe. First, letting them opt out. Then saying that they no, we're actually good, but not really changing their stance. It sounds more like the, I think the parents, frankly, probably received social pressure from like their friends. I'm sure they did, and then mm-hmm. they're sort of caving to it. And at no point anybody has released what the heck they're actually proposing to teach. Sure, sure. And there's, and I think there's that, but 
I agree with you, but right? that's pretty important. That I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is true, but I still think it's the it's it's just the really wrong way to handle it. Like, if there is because if this conversation was all You're, around the 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 content sure. of what's within Black History Month to to discuss that to address, like how do we make this more equitable, et cetera, right? Then I think that would have come across pretty quickly. Okay, let in, me give in you the stance between, and especially the, the the conversation between what's what's happening, you know, between those parents opting out and then the school talking about this publicly. Yep. But it just didn't seem to be the case. It's like in this whole nation, like, hey, my kid doesn't need to learn about that. Like, I, I rather them, you know, basically stay out of that conversation. I think. But that's, I think your assumption I think it's a mistake. is, your uh, I agree with you that the, the 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 response should always be, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our concerns. That should always be the result. I, I, you, you don't run. You shouldn't run from the things you disagree with. You shouldn't. Engage with them and try to solve them, and get and bring people over to your perspective if you're if if you're able to do that by offering evidence and perspectives and points of view. 100% agree with that. But what I'm talking about is the ability to not have your child take a particular thing, because what you just described. What if we talk and we still disagree? So then the school's going to say, "Well, we talked. You're still wrong. Your kid has to take this class." Well, why couldn't that apply to religion? Well, that could apply to everything. It could apply to math. It could apply to spelling. It could apply to basically anything. I can say, you know, I think math is calculators. I'm, I'm okay with it. We're going to go ahead and skip math. Okay. Or we're going to go ahead and skip spe- eh, spelling. There's spell check. Do we really need spelling in this day and age with computers, with, with R- mobile? I'm a parent. I don't think it's that important. So right. we're going to skip that as well. So to your slippery so your slippery slope, which I think the example that you give about uh, by your wife on channel, I think it's a little bit different situation because there is an alternate way. Sound like to be able to address it, right? And it's one that is not mm-hmm. imperative to like actually forming good like citizens in this country. Understanding the history of this country, I think it is super important. Just know, as important as my math right. skills are, just as, sure. as every other basic right. skills that we need to teach our kids, which is why I have a much harder time totally agree. agreeing to opting out out of core items, core subjects that are important for for us to have, right? functioning, operating, you know, kids mm-hmm. and then becoming adults. You're making the same case that the NBA players did, which I think both of you, the NBA and you may be wrong about, which is you're saying we should all want to learn about the proper history of this country. What if that isn't the issue? What if that isn't the issue that the parents have? So in other words, you're, you're, that's called a straw man. You're chasing down a position that you think is the right one. Well, you may be right, but what if you're wrong? I'll give you just one for instance, simple for instance. The history of the of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, has a very difficult history with uh, black integration into their own ranks. As an example, there weren't black priests who were um, Mormons until the 70s. That's literally something that had to get written in. So let me just—this is just a for instance. Yeah. Let's say part of the class— is learning about how the how the, 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 that particular church, the Mormon church, did not allow uh, black people into into the church, and how horrible that was. Without having somebody there from a Mormon perspective say, "Okay, let me give you some context to this. We were wrong, but here's why." And what you end up with is having a, a lot of maybe Mormon little kids go to their parents and say, "I don't want to be part of this church anymore." Mm-hmm. What if that was the concern? And it has nothing to do with learning about slavery, learning about whatever. But, but it is learning about black history. And I think part of and then once again, then, then what if, if that, that was the a con- concern? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. If that's the concern, then address the concern by giving more context to why that happened while acknowledging the crappy thing that actually happened. And the thing that I worry about is too many times I see people like wanting to pretend like, no, it's all great. It's all rosy. We don't want to talk about those bad things. Like, no, no, no. Let's just go ahead and skip that. I think it's the opposite. And I think the, everybody if, wants if to talk have, about the bad things. I think it's exactly the opposite. The momentum is in that direction. 
yeah, maybe. But I think part of it is like, frankly, this is the stuff that we didn't get as kids. Like, there's so much about the history about about in this country that I learned in college, not mm-hmm. in high school. Like, really, that happened in, in, in high school. I remember having a conversation. I don't remember anything I learned in high school. Yeah, I remember having a conversation, um, an argument with my with my um, uh, civic studies uh, professor, yeah, or teacher in high school. Mm-hmm. Where she was like dead set in arguing that the Civil War in the U.S. did not happen because of slavery. Mm-hmm. It was all about state rights. I'm like, okay, I understand that that was framed as state right, but how can you when you literally states call themselves slave states in the time they like sure. how can you say that it had not nothing to do with it or yeah that's and I was not frankly well informed enough to really make an argument, but that was happening like that was like a very glossy view of of what happened in history. Where many of these like things that that were really crappy just didn't really want to address them, right. or paint or sure cut the whole thing like look how awesome this all was and yeah we had a couple of things but but they were fine they worked out fine and you're right maybe this is a, an overcorrection and and I listen I, I agree if that if that is the case but still to me the answer the part that I you're right we don't know because we don't know the context and it could be a scenario like you described but but the decision that the way to address it is simply keep, keep your kids completely out of it. I think that's the part where I have an issue with as it relates to the I slippery slope. I agree with that. I think that is slippery crazy. slope I think we're still, that it creates yeah. because I can make the same argument, frankly, about any subject. Of course you could. Right. Well, and, 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 and I, I could do the same so, thing. Right. You, so like, well, right. at that point, like, they were, they were right. just, it won't do nothing wrong. But, but the other point I think here is also playing, playing a, a, a factor is because it is a Montessori school. Because yeah. I was looking into it, and I don't you know, know like, about that. It, it's yeah, part of the Montessori system is very individualized, right? It's very much about like kids' freedom and with some guardrails, but it, but it's but it, they give them a lot of choice, and I, I do think this is in part a result of I don't know if this would have happened in any other type of school, maybe it would, but I think this whole notion of kids being able to do one thing or not, very 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 much being you know left to the kids' choice or the family's choice about what they can pick or not from as it relates to the education process. I think also played a role in this in this, I think, this conversation. I think the way to ask yourself the question, and maybe where we're disagreeing, is ultimately who has the authority. Everything you've just described, I agree with. We should learn about history. We should not walk away. We should try to discuss. We should try to figure out to bring in that context to make it about adding the things that are that happened around bad things, but still teach the bad. I agree with all of that. If all of that fails, I end up with your argument. I don't see another path. If all that fails. Your argument says the school still decides. And where I net out is the parent still decides. Yeah. Because if that goes wrong, if we have a talk and we basically say, look, I've got a problem with the way you guys are teaching this. I think you should talk more about this, this and that. I hear you, Mr. Parent. Love you and your kid. We're not going to do that. Like ultimately the authority is still on the, on the, on the teacher. The the, The way that I see your argument. The authority. Yeah. I I I would say it's. The authority, of course, is always going to be in the parent in terms of what they feel is best for for their child. But the way that authority should get manifested is if you as a parent just have an issue with the way that a school is handling itself and what is, is teaching and what the curriculum is, you have the choice to pull that kid out of, that, out, of that, out of that school. Of course. And if you have a choice, if you have a problem with how every school in that in that place is actually teaching kids around the different subjects, you have also a choice to just teaching them at home. And But there has to be a certain level of education that we have to as a country, agree that are basic and important for kids to learn in order to 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 have decent, you know, working human beings as they, as they grow up. And in my mind, Black History Month should fall within that category. Now we can discuss about how it gets talked about and how it gets. I agree with you. I mean, sure. there's, there's obviously ways to do it. And I don't know. I mean, look, as my daughter's eight, like there's a certain version of this that I will be like, hey, can we? 
make it the eight-year-old version of this and not give her the 18-year-old right. version, right? So there's that, and I, I could see that. But but I don't think that the that the, the right solve here is for the school to simply say, oh, this part is – because the moment you make it fully optional, yeah, then you're saying it's not as important as the other things. If you're telling it's me a, everything is optional, you say, hey, math is also optional in school. You don't have to do math. You could do it or not do it. Sure. So kind of, do you feel like math? Oh, great, do sure. it. Then, then if that's the approach, I will be more okay with that decision. But it, but if they have to the degree that the school, then I can't speak for what how they operate. Would you feel exactly the same way if some, if we weren't talking about Black History, but we were talking about Christian Christianity Awareness Month? I would we feel were, I would feel differently because I think Christianity Awareness Month is not part of our history. I mean, it is, but it's not it's not a it's not a it's part not. it's not a core part of how uh, that's a belief that people have, but it's not a, a core part necessarily of how this this country got created. Now, the, I think part it's of a it is super completely disagree with you. It's a complete but, core but part of is, how the country got created. But it is created. already covered in my mind. It's already covered in the context of how the. Let me let me, st- let me restate the whole thing. I think it's already covered in the context of how the country got created. Going into theology around the religion and not sure. saying critical to understanding the dynamics of the country to the degree that is relevant to it, they should be talked about. To the degree that it goes beyond how this country is created as part of the history, then I think that's where where I will make the distinction. I think the the same ex- distinction should apply uh, could apply to to all things, including Black History Month. For sure, it's like the degree to which it's if it's relevant, well, it should, deg- right, right. So to me, Black History is relevant. Sure, of course, it is right, and it's relevant. It should be covered. It should be treated as a core topic, as a core subject, right. And if it isn't, that's where I have an issue with it. I understand that. The how, is, yeah, you're right. We could debate, and neither of us knows what they were saying, how yeah. they were doing it. So, yeah. That, What's I mean, clear is we should have made this our deep dive, not a courage or cringe, um, because this one, there's definitely a lot more to tell. I think the, the one thing, the only, the last thing I would say about that is that, um, you know, there's, and it, it relates to our third uh, courage or cringe, which we're, we got like 10 minutes to get to. But um, actually, you know what? Let me pause on that. Let's, I'll get to it on the, on the third one. Let's just, okay. let's just move on. So you're, again, I want to, I want to, I want to be super clear of what I'm, what I'm encouraging. Uh, I'm encouraging the ability for parents to have ultimate authority over their children. That's what I'm, that's what I'm encouraging, giving them the option, just like my wife had the option to remove our kids from that objectively good thing for a good reason because I believe parents should have the authority. That's why I'm courage, not not for any other reason. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so but, many but other it, issues still, here. But still, as it relates to the topic, it's still courage on the school handling it that way though, right? Because your no, point is, is no, them giving... No, it's the, not. Well, no, least, the issue is... At least offering the option, you agree with... The issue you, is you parents the, had a concern about it. Parents brought a concern. There's so much information we're missing. Parents brought a concern. They wanted their kids to not participate in this mm-hmm. particular class. I think that's terrible that they didn't, but I believe that they should have the right to do that as opposed to the school saying, no, you are forced to take these particular um, subjects. Right. But, but, but then therefore you, you also think it's courageous for the school to give that option, to give parents that final decision to decide whether or not they should be. I think, I think all right? schools, to your you can't have point, one without the other. You sh- all schools should be able, like all parents should have the option of opting out their kids from, right. from things in school. Yes. Okay. I believe that. All right. So let's move on to the next topic. Hopefully this will be a little, quick, little quicker. This will be so, quicker. Uh, in an interview with MSNBC, uh, Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings from Florida said that she believed Mr. Trump how many, might— How many Congress people do we have? I don't know any of these people. It's, like, it's a lot of Congress people. Um, yeah, a lot of them. No offense to the Floridian actually, Congresswoman, actually, but I, I should just, know this number. I, I do know the number. It's like it's 500 three, or something, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's terrible that we can't think of what the number is. But yeah, I told you I learned nothing <laughs> we'll come, in high school. We'll come back to, to, that, to that. I think it's four hundred and something. But um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I think you're right. Sorry um, for interrupting, Val. So go ahead. Yes. she um, she said in an interview with MSNBC that she believed that Mr. Trump 
See, the, here goes the Mr. Trump, right? Not former President Trump. Former Mr. Former Mr. President Trump uh, might even sell any intelligence to whoever bid the highest while mentioning um, his alleged connections to Russia. Right Now, her comments, just to give you context, came after President Biden in an interview with CBS had said that he thought there was no need to continue briefing former President Trump because, and, and he quoted, because of his erratic behavior unrelated to the insurrection, right? Now, the Congresswoman, uh, Val Demings, she went on to say, we saw him stand on stage with Vladimir Putin in Helsinki and basically do everything but ask the Russian dictator for his autograph. This was like reference to the, the meeting that they had in 2018 between uh, Putin and, right. and uh and I Trump. remember, yep. Um, I believe his former president, this former president, and I believe it with all my heart that he will use intelligence as a bargaining chip or sell it to the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. I prefer to join in on the words of my intelligence committee chairman, Adam Schiff, that there is no need. There's no circumstance where the former president should receive any intelligence, not now and quite or quite frankly, frankly, in the future. Tell us how you really feel. Right. Exactly. Right. So. Uh, President Biden has said that there was a possibility that Mr. Trump will slip up and say something he shouldn't if he was brief for sensitive intelligence, which he, he is able to request. And but to be clear here, that's actually part of the process, which is not necessarily that he's gonna, that, that even former president get briefed all the time. Right. It's simply they have the ability to request it, and they are sure. historically out of, out of tradition. Way, able my, to be my favorite part of the whole thing is Biden saying someone can slip up and say something wrong. That's well, that's the funniest part of the whole piece. But well, yeah, ahead. but let's be okay. Let's say why he's exactly saying, which I thought was even more hilarious. No, I which just is, mean him doing it. He's yeah, not. No. He's not an orator. Let's which just say is, the whole issue about you think that's ridiculous. How could Trump ever slip up and just share intelligence information? Well, well it kind of happened. Right? So, that that part, no, I, that part I believe. I'm just saying who is saying that yeah, is yeah, what yeah, makes yeah. it funny. But, which the, so that was the part that to me was pretty funny. Which is the Washington Post had previously reported that in 2017. Mr. Trump hosted a meeting in the Oval Office with Russian Foreign Minister and then Ambassador to the U.S., uh, where he s revealed secret intelligence, right? Now, apparently, the information the president relayed had been provided by a U.S. partner through an intelligence sharing agreement. I remember that, too. Considered yeah. so sensitive that details had been withheld from allies and tightly restricted even within the U.S. government. It was so sensitive, right? we didn't even know it. Yeah, the partner had not given the United States permission to share the material with right. Russia. And after the Trump meeting, senior White House officials had to, like, took steps to contain the damage, placing his calls to the CIA, national security agencies, kind of across the board, right? Mm -hmm. And then the last thing here, which is which is kind of interesting, is according to Business Insider, right, they said that officials and three different intelligence services in Europe responded warmly to comments in, by Biden in his, first TV in his first TV interview that he didn't want to you know, continue giving Trump any, any intelligence briefings. So you have this response from the intelligence community saying like, yeah, we actually like the idea of not sharing uh, more information with President Trump. We have obviously some very strong comments by uh, Congresswoman Val Demings. Um, but on this one, courage or cringe, I will say we, we just make it around her comments Go ahead. that she made. Go ahead. Um, I think her comments are cringe. Um, look, uh, look, there's a lot of reasons to to not have trust with former President Trump or President Trump. Just, just keep it consistent. I here. think you have to keep it consistent. Um, stay with former. And uh, I think there is some legitimate concerns in, in him. <laughs> Overly sharing in him because of, frankly, he's shown in the past. But I th this whole notion that he is is just willing to sell the country or or be a um, you know a, a spy, which kind of kind of feels this way, right? Sell the highest bidder. I think that's a little ridiculous. Like the one thing that I would say, you could accrue, accuse uh, President Trump of a lot of things. For me, the biggest thing you accuse him of is that he's all about him. Like he's number one in the, in the, in the conversation. But I don't think that also that also means him wanting to sell the country for to the highest bidder with information. So that I just don't believe. And I think is 
is one where there is a lot of issues. Of course, the people are, are high in terms of emotion because everything that just happened with insurrection. We have a, a um, you know, this new trial that just started as well with, a, with impeachment trial. So there's a lot of emotions there. But the, the overall sentiment that that Trump is out there trying to see who he's going to sell his intelligence to, I just think it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Well, we agree on that. I think it's cringe as well. I think also the the rationale for these intelligence briefings is not discussed at all in these pieces. And I know that there's... Yeah, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know why you would give that to the former president. Continuity. That's why. Because there may be something that... It's like, think about it. You just took over somebody's job and you want to ask him, hey, whatever happened on the Harris case or when you dealt with this customer, what did they... Did they say blue or black? Like... All that little continuity piece is the reason why there's that overlap, to, but, but the way that I understand it. But that makes sense, Charlie, in the case if it was the, the current president asking the former president to look at something. Correct. But it, but it doesn't make sense to me when, when the former when president requested. requesting some information. But I think that part, that's, that, that's part I, I don't follow. But I think that it's both. Like the trigger, that, right? right. The, the trigger. But I think it's actually both that occur. I think it's both the administration, which in this case I would agree, I would probably say it's never going to happen, that they would reach out to say any, anything that was going on. And it's also coming back which I don't understand as much as right. I equally have questions about, but I believe it's both. I definitely have heard of the first one where it's like for continuity, for, you know, you're, you're kind of coming in in the yeah, midst of a that. huge negotiation, maybe with a that, country, you didn't get it done sense. in time, Yeah, that makes sense. whatever it is. So, so I think it's that and, and kind of not letting um, our personal inclinations get in the way of things that might be good for the country, which transition would be good. So I, I think for me, it, it was an easy one. I also think it's a little bit of like, it gives a little bit of fuel to the the notion that like you know the media is in love with Trump as much as they hate him because like just stop talking about him you know what I mean just move on to the next right. topic um, because yeah. it's like I, I mean I, I just don't know I, that part I, I'm I'm still kind of like struggling with in terms of why are we still right talking about this and um, it kind of falls into that category for me so. We're we're in agreement, redeemed from the previous segment. Uh, yeah, it's cringe as well. I don't well. understand why Biden would even necessarily have to bring that up. That's my point. I, I, he, he That's was my asked point. about it. I think that's what it was. He was asked about it, but it's it's a weird one but, because. But so if he was, at least at least from what we know, President Trump had not requested any any uh, intelligence intelligence, right? So okay. And then number two, if you really want to do that, unless you have to announce it, unless it was like an issue where he had requested you denied it, then that's different, right? But otherwise, I would just... I think that somebody asked him, which is goes to my question of why are you asking that question? Somebody asked him, he said something, and he added a little flourish to the end of it going the, because of his erratic behavior. The, the, and the, all, only, the you know, only reason where it could make sense based yeah. on the response is if they thought it would be a positive signal for the intelligence community to start sharing more information back uh, with the U.S., they felt there was some bridge that needed to be rebuilt Possibly. based on some of the some of, some, some of the stuff that had happened previously. Possibly, so but, that could be the only one. Like I guess, but it seems kind of odd. Okay, we're at five hundred. Last right, one, last Supreme one. Court. So Supreme, Supreme Court strikes down California's COVID ban on church worship. So last week, the Supreme Court ruled six to three in favor of South Bay United Pentecostal Church near San Diego, which has been fighting in the court for months for the right to hold indoor services. Right. Now, the court's majority said that government Newsom, Governor Newsom's uh, COVID policy violated the Constitution's protections of free exercise of religion. But it was a partial victory, right, as the court said that the state could limit attendance to 25% capacity and could also prohibit singing and chanting during services, as some health experts believe they could more easily spread the coronavirus. Like, but like mm. good luck in enforcing that piece. Like, I don't oh know how gosh. you do that. In California's tiered, uh, my head. tiered COVID policy, uh, indoor ser- church services are prohibited in regions of the states in the purple tier, which is which are designated as widespread. 
Um, which also, is like the, the whole state. Yeah, this at least in terms of people. Right now it is a whole state, yeah. The decision signals the priorities of the court's, you know, more conservative supermajority to protect religious rights, even at the potential expense of public health, public health, which is, by the way, literally statement pulled out from this article from The Independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Justice Neil Gorsuch, who, uh, who wrote the, the majority decision, said if Hollywood may host a studio audience or film a singing competition, while not a single soul may enter California churches, synagogues, and mosques, something has gone seriously awry, right? Awry. Awry, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Justice Elena Kagan, who wrote the dissent on behalf of the court's uh, remaining liberal wing, said, uh, justice of, of this courts are not scientists. If this decision causes suffering, we will not pay. Our marble halls are now closed to the public and our life tenure forever insulates us from the responsibility of our errors. That will seem good reason to avoid disrupting a state's pandemic response. Mm-hmm. And basically she blasted a ruling as, as hypocritical, given that the Supreme Court itself was conducting business remotely and warned that the jurists shouldn't second guess health experts with armchair uh, epidemiology. I can't say that word. Um, but in any case, so that's, I mean, that's the, the root of this, of this, of this specific issue. So, uh, on this one, Charlie. Sure. Hard. Uh, I'm going to go for courage on this one. Um, I don't think churches should have ever closed down, I think, especially given the context of, um, you know, the things that remained open. Namely, by the way, air travel. For me, that was the big one. I could see the argumentation about, you know, Target is open, but the church isn't. Even that, by the way, I don't agree with. But I could sure. at least understand yeah. the logic of, well, you know, in churches, you're kind of sitting and you're not really moving. And, you know, maybe you'll sing and so you can get stuff out and like somehow you can't sing with a mask on if you can do with some everything else. But I could kind of see it. But then I flew on an airplane. And then I was like, here we are in a sealed fuselage with 300 other people, not socially distanced, mostly not wearing masks the entire time because we're eating or drinking because what else is there to do on a plane? And that one works, but this one doesn't. And that is what completely destroyed this argument for me from the beginning. That's the practical answer for me. Mm -hmm. The other reason why I think it's courageous is that, you know, as you know, Jesus, there's a re- I believe that there is a reality that is far outside our own kind of temporal health on this world, and it contributes to who we are as people. It contributes to our, frankly, it contributes to our health. And I think that those are things that need to, to have um, exercise and expression in our daily life. And removing the, the, the you know, we, we talked about this before with the governor of Virginia saying, oh, well, you know, we're not taking God away. We're just taking the building away. Remo- removing the community with which you worship, the place where, where you worship, the, the, the rituals with which you worship is part of that experience at a way that is essential and fundamental. It is not like a, a, like a, a, de- a detail or some kind of, of thing that you can dispense with easily. So I think that for all of those reasons, there should have been the social distancing and all the different things that we talked about, but they should have, they sh- the churches should not have been shuttered and closed. And I'm very happy that they've been reopened. I think that the 25% and all that stuff, frankly, the, uh, you know, I'm Catholic. So the diocese here in Los Angeles, we've been doing that for the whole year, mm-hmm. the 25%, a hundred people or 25%, whichever is lower. We've been doing that the entire time. So I'm glad it will apply to other faith traditions, but that's not anything new to how right. we've been dealing it with this. Was it sort of self-imposed? Either? It was self-imposed on uh, you know on our side, um, but on the whole, I'm I'm courage on this. I think that it's important, and frankly, it's it's a, it's been a long time coming. 
But, but you know the the one thing I didn't know on mm-hmm. this one, and I figured you would know, so I was just I was just gonna ask you, which is um, as it relates to outdoor services, did that did that get completely shut down when we had sort of this this last period where it was like stay at home order, uh, especially when restaurants had to close outdoor services? Like are those two things directly correlated to each other? That the second They're- outdoor <clears throat> services got reopened. Outside services at churches also reopen, or because I, I just didn't know, and I frankly didn't get a chance to confirm that. But I, I was curious about that. I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that there was a period of time during the lockdown where where um, the churches were just closed. Outdoor services were also banned. But that was, I mean, that was definitely the case at the very beginning. At right? the very beginning, and it went on did for the, for a bit. Did that happen LA. again? Like in December, in January, was there outdoor services? Do you know? There were outdoor services in December. Okay, so those were yeah. those remained open while they closed outdoor services yeah, for because for, we actually for, did um, all the Christmas masses and everything we did got outside. It, got it, got mm-hmm. it, got it, got it. Yeah, there there definitely were those. Yeah, so you know, this one for me is like it's a super struggle, right? Um, on the one hand, I understand the 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 value and importance of people being able to feel like they can they can practice their faith. Um, be able to practice our faith and, and attend, you know, a church and how important it is for a lot of people to be able to be there in person around other people. Um, the part that I struggle with this is that I don't necessarily understand. I mean, I guess maybe the, and I think the example, the way you, you find, you find like a really, I think unique example to make your case as to why this rule didn't make sense to begin with. Right. Which is the whole thing about airplanes. I frankly hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, and you're right. I mean, in case of the dynamic of being in close proximity with literally no airflow, all the like, probably going to come up with a, with a better example. What I struggle with this one is like, but if this is the case, then why are gyms still closed? Like, that's the first one that I come to is like, look, part of it, look, if, if part of the argument is people being able to be in church in person inside of a building is so that they can be able to be with their community, feel better about life, et cetera, be able to feel closer to God, which has, I think, a direct correlation to how they feel mentally and wellness and all this stuff, right? That, that all makes sense. I can make very similar arguments for people that are able to be around other people, go to the gym, literally for their own wellness benefit, that frankly has a direct impact in how, uh, you know, how much at risk they are of actually catching and, and being like really physically harmed by, by coronavirus, sure. right? But then, like, where, where is the cutoff then, right? It, or in this case, the the reason that they gave is that because they felt it was a violation to the exercise of religion. That's where I have a little bit of issue. Like, well, why is that? Why is that? Should that be treated differently in terms of giving people more of a right to be able to go in, in indoors when at least some of the dynamics that are there do create a higher risk? We can say that the same risk created in airplanes, and that's fine. But that was also a higher risk. So, so is the argument better? Let's make sure no one's flying. That way, and that would justify not having churches open, and also justifies not having gyms open. Or do we simply say, "Hey, we think that the benefit of having this place open outweighs the potential risk because whether it's for your soul, whether it's for your body, being in places and community and areas where you can do something about feeling better about yourself, being able to to you know work on your soul and or your 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 mental wellness is a more important thing to do, and that's actually more important than trying to restrict it to a degree that we feel." It, uh, even if it's safer, but there is a detriment to being that safe and people being more stuck at home, more depressed, not connected to the community. I actually would, in some ways, respect that decision much more if that was the way that they, that they, that they, that they basically approached this one. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you threw a lot on the table there, but I'll just <laughs> per, cite, per usual. I'll cite uh, Chief uh, John Roberts uh-huh. um, in the majority in this case. And he, he said, quote, the maximum number of adherents 
who can safely worship in the most cavernous cathedral is zero. If that's the case, it appears to reflect not expertise or discretion, but instead insufficient appreciation or consideration of the interests at stake. And what that says to me is, to your point, it's like you're not looking at all of the things that outweigh whatever the potential health risk may be may be related to the pandemic in the cases of the churches. Now, that doesn't answer your question about why not gyms. I think that, I'm not, by the way, I'm with you. I don't even think gyms at this point right, should right, be right. closed, right? So it's not. I'm not making that argument, but it doesn't discreetly answer that question. But what it does do is hint at the fact that with not just our ability to have a faith, but our ability to worship a particular way, that there is something that is bigger at play there that is help, that is of value to people in both mind, body, spirit, etc., that needs to be considered beyond going to Target is what I think I'm hearing here. And I, I happen to agree with that, which is why ultimately I come down on a curve. Yeah. And I think the, the part where I don't, fo- I, even with all that argument, the part that I that I don't fully follow, mm-hmm. which I'd love to get your response to, is that this idea that you are, you know, that you need to protect the free exercise of religion. Being in the building, of course, helps people feel more connected. But also, look, the reality, and there may be, I think there's going to be, of course, situations here in in different parishes where so maybe people can't really have an outdoor service. Mm-hmm. But we also happen to live in a state where it actually is pretty practical to have an outdoor service. It doesn't require a lot to move it outdoors. Um, I suppose that we were like, let's say, New York, we have these massive snowstorms, which is not practical to do that, right? So I could even make that, I can understand that argument a little bit better, but... You know, this notion that people are not able to practice their faith, even if they want to practice it together in one location, maybe I'm wrong here and just making a blanket statement, but I think that's not as limited as what this sounds to be. Because the way this sounds to be is like, no, no, not only do we not want you in any in any church inside of it, but you can't get together in any fashion, in any way, which is was not the case, which at some point it was the case. It was the case. Yeah. At some point, like, hey, you can't even get together with more than two people. And there I was like, wait a minute. Like, I, I, well, I completely make that. I could see that argument much better then as limiting the people's ability to exercise their faith, when we tell them you can even be together, even if you're 20 feet apart in one place to, to practice your faith. The, you know what I'm saying? Like the, that seems like a better argument. Yeah. Uh, at least for me, as to, by the way, San, Franci- San Francisco, the diocese of San Francisco up until I think it was December, uh, could only have a dozen people outside. Mm. And then they raised it to 50 people outside. Right, right, right. Right. And so this has been, yeah, so that 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 feels like a much stronger argument of stopping the exercise of religion if you're not even in a, in what will be deemed a much sort of because you can't say you can have beaches open but can't have people like literally meet outside that are you know as long as they're of course six feet apart etc. Then that then I see like a big sure. contradiction there. Sure. Uh, but but I do uh, the part that I, I I wish when they looked at this it was more tired and of course it's based on the case that they're actually looking at but. I mean, the, the argument that to me that makes the most sense here is them saying, like, you have to look at the a way the factors here between keeping people really, really safe in terms of physically distance and all of the, the impacts that it has there, mental, emotional, sort of, you know, all of the, the, the issues that happen with it and allowing people in a specific forum to be able to get together in a safer manner to still be able to practice their faith or, or exercise whatever may be the case. And, and that's why I think even though I agree with it, I, I put it more on – it's hard to put it on cringe because it's not like I disagree with what they came down to. I just wish it was a different reason of how they came out, came out to that, that to, to, the, to the decision. That's really maybe the point that I'm having more of an issue with. I agree with the decision. I think it's fine. I think you should for the same reason we just talked about. Mm-hmm. 
but I really wish they had a different way to get that decision, right? And if the way was actually, which is more in the body of his of his uh, of, of of the comments that they made, I will be much more on board with with the with the outcome of that of that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. So, um, I guess that you, so you net out cringe then if you had to pick. Yeah, I, I okay. hate to put percentages, but I'm put like a slight cringe only for that as to the reason why. That works. It's a slight thumbs down, but it's still S- thumbs slight, down. Slight thumbs down. Okay, very good. Well, um, awesome. Good show, Jesus. We ran a little bit a uh, little bit long perhaps, but hopefully uh well worth it to the listening audience. Um, we've got a lot of uh, cool topics coming up by the way in future shows, so Make sure that you tune in, obviously, every Wednesday. Download the show. Keep commenting. Let us know how we're doing. Any parting words? Anything else? Uh, no. Just gonna, <laughs> we had a lot of words already today. I think just, just tracking what's going to happen with the... Um, with um, with impeachment, with the impeachment. I think yeah. it'll be really I'm sure that'll be a topic yeah. coming up on the future show. Okay, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and you'll hear us again next week on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember first of all to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.